0: Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for our episode, uh, we're looking at the resurrection and how it took root in the original church and how uh, it can begin to take root in our churches and our lives today. So I thought, you know, man, this is going to be a great topic for uh, those of you pastors who Easter's next week, right around the corner, Holy Week starting next week. And uh, what an important thing to to be talking about and obviously is on the the front of your mind. And so I wanted to tee up our discussion today by uh, reading a passage from 1 Corinthians 15 of Paul's um, and just teeing it up with a, a question here. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Then in 16, he goes on and says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So this may seem like an obvious answer to this question, but I think um, just a great place to start would be, why does Paul see the resurrection as so central to his faith in Jesus? Well, this
1: is a good question and it's important at res- at Easter time for us to begin to think not only about the resurrection of Jesus but about resurrection theology, Easter theology. What is the significance? I'd like to start just by observing that resurrection was central to the early Christian gospel. And it is not unfair to say that resurrection had an earlier prominence than atonement or crucifixion. Now you can't have Easter without crucifixion. So this is not an either-or problem, but it is uh, very interesting that you can have late in Paul's ministry in 2 Timothy this statement about the gospel. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2:8, remember King Jesus or Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Paul says that the gospel can be reduced to remembering Jesus as the Messiah, believing in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and believing that he is a descendant from David. Ah, this, is, this is remarkable is that he can express the gospel uh, without saying anything about the cross, Hmm. and he can express the gospel assuming the cross, Mm -hmm. but focus it all on the resurrection. And in the early Christian gospels, in the uh, sermons uh, of the gospel in the book of Acts, uh, it is frequent that the fundamental emphasis of the sermon itself is on the fact that You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. It is this narrative that you killed him and God raised him from the dead. It is not a soteriological narrative, it is a Christological narrative. It's a narrative about Jesus breaking the bonds of death through the power of God and the Spirit of God so that resurrection occurs. So I want to emphasize to begin with that resurrection is absolutely central. To the early Christian gospel. It is not something that happened after the crucifixion as just a a tag on. Mm -hmm. It gave meaning to the crucifixion. There is a, a final death without the resurrection, and that is exactly the passage that you quoted to us from, Chaz, from 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we're a bunch of uh, nutcases.
0: Yeah, we're done for. It's, I mean,
1: yeah. it's meaningless. Our gospel, our message, is that Jesus was raised from the dead. That we are saved by virtue of His death and resurrection. And Paul would say, we are not saved by virtue of His death. We are saved by virtue of His death and resurrection. And without that resurrection, that death is not saving. And this is. Critical for us to begin to emphasize once again the importance of resurrection to the gospel.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned how sometimes we underemphasize, you know, the resurrection and, and prioritize uh, the crucifixion and Jesus's death for us when we're proclaiming what we understand uh, the gospel to be. And I don't. Why do you think that that is that that people do that? Uh, why do we underemphasize resurrection? Yeah. Or, or maybe I think, emphasize more the the crucifixion over the resurrection.
1: Well, there there are good reasons in the New Testament. For instance, Paul can say he preaches Christ crucified.
0: So there there
1: is there's an emphasis on crucifixion without resurrection, uh, and and we don't want to have one without the other. Um, I believe that the history of the Christian theology has frequently emphasized the crucifixion as the place for atonement theory, and atonement theory is implicated or is deeply enmeshed in our doctrine of salvation. So that if you ask a typical Christian kid, a teenager, a college student, which I often did when I had college freshmen, why did Jesus come? You will almost never hear that Jesus came to be raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. you will hear only that he came to die for my sins. So by making our soul problem our guilt and reducing it to guilt, by making our soul problem sin and reducing it to sin, we minimize resurrection Mm -hmm. in the gospel. By focusing exclusively on guilt and sin, we can focus on crucifixion and atonement, etc., but the Gospel's problem, uh, the, the, the the problem the Gospel resolves is death. And death comes as a result of sin. death is uh, uh, is the implication of our guilt. Death is the implication of our transgressions. So the solution is that we need life. so the the curse on on Adam and Eve was that surely, On the day that you eat of this fruit, you will die. Death becomes central. One of my seminary professors used to say, uh, he now lives in New Zealand, he used to say that Paul was a thanatologist, and the Greek word for death is thanatos. So he always wanted to say that Paul was, was focused on death, and that is the implication of sin. So, Easter becomes absolutely central because it is at Easter that death's problem is resolved. It is resolved when Jesus breaks the bonds of death, defeats death, and uh, comes back to life, uh, a resurrected, embodied person, and now life has the final word. So, it is central to the gospel, and we need to resurrect resurrection theology by refocusing the problem from simply and reductionistically looking at sin and guilt Mm -hmm. and start looking at the implication of death so that we can find the solution that the New Testament
0: offers, namely the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. So as we look at you know, putting it back in in that place, and and we look at it in the the story of Scripture and the the problem that the gospel uh, resolves in death. Are there any concepts about resurrection that come from the Old Testament or the first century Jewish context world that uh, we would need to know to under understand the impact of, of Jesus's resurrection as the Gospels um, talk about it and the early church <clears throat> preaches about it?
1: You know, uh, one of the surprising things for many uh, first-time or serious readers of the Bible for the first time is to discover that the Old Testament is not obsessed with personal salvation and the Old Testament also does not talk hardly, well, it doesn't ever talk about eternal life the way Christians talk about, Mm -hmm. but it is only in the last stages of the Old Testament that we begin to hear about resurrection, say in Daniel chapter 12. But yet, Tom Wright has done such a wonderful favor to so many of us, not only in his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, which is a big old fat book on resurrection, but in his very accessible, uh, Surprised by Hope, uh, Tom Wright has drawn our attention to an Old Testament narrative. And if you pay attention to Old Testament scholars who study the prophets, you will also see this narrative that there is this narrative of living in the land, going into exile and returning to the land. And at times that narrative gets captured in the themes of death and resurrection. Donald Gowan has demonstrated this time and time again in the Old Testament. I think it begins to excite people for the hope of resurrection, the return from exile to the land gives Israel new life. It is connected to the themes of new creation, new heavens, and new earth in the prophet Isaiah. In the uh, intertestamental literature, or the literature between the Old Testament and the New Testament, or in what we could probably more accurately describe non-canonical Jewish literature... There is also this this narrative theme dominating of exile and return. There is the theme of God's judgment and God's uh, rescuing and salvation of the people who are faithful to God. So we even see it in the Dead Sea Scrolls, where they expect the faithful people to be uh, inheriting the land and to enter into the age to come. So there is an expectation. Of the Old Testament that is a narrative. And this is where Tom Wright's work, I think, helps us understand something about the New Testament. As Christians, we tend to obsess with individual narrative. That is, uh, I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me, but Jesus was also raised, so now we add resurrection. And that means that when I die, I will be raised from the dead. All right, that's. That's, a, that's an individual dimension of yeah. a larger narrative. And yeah. that narrative is, at the end of time, there will be a general resurrection. And it will be a resurrection for all the people of God, and it will usher in new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, the kingdom of God. So when Jesus begins to talk about resurrection, and he begins to use terms like eternal life, and he talks about the presence of the kingdom... The idea is that the resurrection has occurred or is occurring, and he predicts that he will be raised from the dead, and the Apostle Paul sees new resurrection theology all over the place as he discusses uh, the significance of Jesus, so that, that the idea of the New Testament is that the resurrection has already taken place. And we are beginning to live in the here and now, in a new resurrection life. We are beginning to partake in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is what this means, Chaz. What it means for us is that we are right now supposed to be practicing kingdom living. Mm. We are to live we want to work for justice. Mm -hmm. We want to work for peace. Mm -hmm. We want to live in a life of love. We want wisdom so that as Christians, because the resurrection has already occurred in Jesus and because we are in Christ, that we have been raised with him, we are beginning to live a life of resurrection now, Mm -hmm. a new creation life. But that life is, is practiced in community, not just individuals. Mm-hmm. And that means we are to practice kingdom living now. And if you look at any vision of the final kingdom in the Bible, whether you want to start with Micah, you want to start with Hosea, you want to start with Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, or you want to jump all the way to the book of Revelation, the clear things about that final kingdom of God is that it will be a society marked by justice, It will be a a society marked by reconciliation. It will be a society marked by love Mm -hmm. and peace uh, and wisdom. And all these things will be a part of that. And we are supposed to live in that now because of the resurrection.
0: Yeah, I love how it, it, it's so much more than, than just our story and our, our personal um, deliverance from sin and uh, new life that, that God gives us now because of the resurrection. But it's that our lives are and our story is tied into a much bigger story that God's telling through all of us and inviting us to be in as the church. And I love um, casting this vision when I talk to my people. At at our church at Parkview, um, and just talking about how you know we get the opportunity to practice now what it's going to be like for all of eternity, so that when that time comes and, and when we are with Jesus for, for all of eternity, we'll get to look around and we'll say, "Man, this looks an awful lot alike." What the church was that I was a part of on Earth and wherever we're living, and I think, man, what an exciting story that we get to tell with our lives, because, as you said, uh, the implications of the resurrection are consuming everything that we do and and, and all that we are. You know this is you know, Chaz, you know you said that very well. I like that, yeah,
1: is that there is an obsession with individual eschatology, mm mm-hmm. Um, and so that we are obsessed with our death and our resurrection. I don't want to minimize my death and my resurrection. Oh, none at all. But at the same time, we have to realize that resurrection is a big idea. It's not just an individualistic idea. It's the whole community, and that it transforms life now. And so, yes, I totally agree with you that when we look around in the final kingdom of God, and I've written about this in my book, The Heaven Promise, when we look look around at the final kingdom of God, we should see glowing, strange resemblances Mm -hmm. in the new heavens and the new earth of the way we were living in this world, but striving for that, Mm -hmm. but never quite achieving what we hoped we would achieve. Mm -hmm. So we lean forward into kingdom living uh, as we live in our church life
0: today, I, I like how you said that. Yeah, good, cool. So, as, as we kind of go back and, and look specifically at the resurrection, which argument would you say for the resurrection settled most deeply in a convincing way for your own life and study?
1: Well, this is this is a very interesting question because um, you know we often focus uh, on apologetics and, and how we prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Jesus was raised from the dead, and therefore there's a resurrection. Um, I, I would like to express, uh, I'd like to say that, uh, again, emphasizing the significance of resurrection, I was reading a book by Lisa Miller uh, on heaven. She's a a, a very prominent journalist uh, in New York City. and she's she's an unbeliever, and she she said this. for me, personally speaking, Resurrection is the biggest obstacle to belief in heaven. As much as I'd like to imagine, she said, that in heaven I'll get my pre-baby body back, it's Mm -hmm. pleasures, it's stamina, I just don't. We get old, we wear out, we die, time never moves backward. Well, there you have it. There you have Mm -hmm. someone looking straight at you and me and Mm -hmm. saying, I I don't believe in the resurrection, uh, but I think she implies that if Jesus was raised from the dead, then maybe there is a resurrection. Mm -hmm. And so this is why it's important for us to provide some apologetic for the resurrection. And in my life, probably the argument that has been most convincing, uh, over time as I've studied the gospel, is that uh, the earliest Christian apostles risked their lives because they believed Jesus was raised from the dead.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Look, the apostle Paul, who was in contact with other apostles, can say in 1 Corinthians 15, and he can be quoting the gospel formula in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, that the essence of the gospel was the resurrection of Jesus. He can risk his gospel by saying, if he wasn't raised from the dead, we are still in our sins. Mm-hmm. And yet, Paul risked his life.
0: Peter risked his life. The other apostles risked their lives. In other words... And not only risked their life, but, but gave yeah. their life in many sins. Yeah. They, they died as martyrs. A lot of those early Christians, you know, in the first hundred
1: years, thousands of Christians were put to death because they believed that this Jewish Jesus was raised from the dead. So while I agree that the gospel records say that the tomb is empty, and while I agree that there are witnesses to the mm-hmm. fact that they encountered Jesus, to me, it is the witness of the risking of life on the basis of the resurrection by people who were within decades of the death and resurrection of Jesus and who actually lived with him and knew him and touched him and ate with him and prayed with him. It is their life of risking themselves on the basis of believing that Jesus was raised from the dead that has been for me the most convincing argument that Jesus was raised from the dead. These other arguments help me. Mm -hmm. I believe in them. Um, So I I go back to a famous statement by CFD Mole, quoted numerous times by N.T. Wright. At At the end of the day, the argument is that the best argument for the resurrection of Jesus is there is no other explanation for the confident faith of the earliest Christians who knew him.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that too in in my own life and and looking at it. And uh, I think that has such a a powerful uh, invitation for us as well as believers in Jesus who believe in the resurrection to allow that to take root in in our life because, um, you know, as we interact with people who don't share the same belief with us, I mean, we certainly have to have our foundation of uh, what we believe and why we believe it and and those reasons. Um, but most powerfully, I think, is when people see our lives marked by, our 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 understanding of the resurrection that we live different because of that reality and you know death no longer has the same uh, bound over us and, and doesn't enslave us in the same way um, that it could and, and we live with lack of fear we live, live with certainty we live with hope of of what's to what's more and I think that's um, man that's that's I think. And a lot of reasons why the early church took off and, and yeah, why yeah. God still invites us as the church to take part in that as well.
1: You know, I call the resurrection of Jesus the biggest if in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he was raised from the dead, yeah, then everything changes. Mm-hmm. If he wasn't, Christianity is, is fallacious. It's foolish. It's wrongheaded. And we're duped. Mm -hmm. I really believe that I believe Mm -hmm. that Christianity cannot be reduced to an ethic to Mm -hmm. social justice to being nice and to being kind and being peaceful Mm -hmm. I believe in all those things and they're sort of Western liberalism and they're uh, you know they're a diminishment of the Christian message but the Christian message is not that we should be nice and peaceful and kind Mm -hmm. it is that Jesus was raised from the dead And therefore, you have the power
0: Mm -hmm. to be
1: different kinds of people, loving people, seeking justice, embodying justice with one another, and bringing about peace and reconciliation and forgiveness. So that big if, the biggest if in history, if he was raised from the dead, all of life changes. Everything changes. That is a
0: powerful message uh, for me. Without, yeah, without a doubt. I have, that reminds me, I have a a pastor friend who uh, likes to say, if you can believe the first sentence in the Bible, in the beginning, God created uh, everything, then you don't have a problem with believing anything else in the rest of the Bible. And I think, you know, we can extend that and and say the same thing and a similar thing through the resurrection that, you know, because of the resurrection, there's there's new creation that he does really literally recreate um, in providing new life for us. And as you said, the big if. I mean, if that's true, then what can't God do in our life? And what an exciting reality. Yeah. Yeah, I That's good.
1: If you can if you can believe the first sentence in the Bible, mm-hmm. you can believe the rest of the Bible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus, everything else
0: in the Bible makes sense. Yeah. So as we look maybe to close here, uh, as we look as, as our in our Look to our formation and how God's transforming us and, and growing us to become more and more like Jesus. Um, how how would you say? How can the resurrection take root in our lives more and more as believers in our daily life? Um, Chaz, I'm I'm working on the book
1: of Philemon right now. Yeah, and I was looking at Philemon uh, verse six this morning, and This is how it is translated in the old NIV of 1984. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, the newer NIV is slightly shifting that that because of our sharing of faith. That is, because Philemon has love and because Philemon has faith, Paul wants him to grow as a result of the unleashing of the power of faith in his life to have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, what Paul is doing is setting up Philemon to emancipate or to manumit Onesimus, his slave. Here is resurrection theology, Mm -hmm. new creation theology, coming to play in a pastoral moment when Paul looks at this slave owner Philemon and he confronts him with his slave Onesimus who has now become a brother in Christ and he says I want your faith to be expressed by living out a new creation reality and I want you to emancipate this young man and I want you to treat him as a brother mm-hmm. that in my opinion, is a brilliant illustration of the significance of the resurrection. Jesus' power, has uh, his res- resurrection power, his breaking of the bonds of death, has unleashed a power in us to be transformed and to create an, a completely different kind of community, one in which, as Paul says in Galatians 3 and in Colossians 3, there is neither slave nor free. Mm-hmm. We are all in Christ, and that's exactly what Paul is getting at uh, in, in Philemon, and I think it's a brilliant illustration for Easter of what resurrection can mean in our world today. The power of the resurrection destroys the boundaries
0: between people and creates reconciliation and peace and justice. Well, that's a powerful way to end our time together is looking how the resurrection took root for Philemon. And we hope, man, that our conversation is able to help you understand how the resurrection took root then and how it can continue to take root in your life and all that God has going on. Thanks again for joining us. And we hope you have a wonderful Easter morning.